Episode 272. I am your temporary host, James Jones. With me today is Greg Leahy. No, hoy, hoy. And standing in for Johnny, who is out on personal reasons, and John, who is out because he just hates the show, <laughs> is Michael T.Y.P. Cole. Save for the show! And the site's founder, Billy Berghammer. Hello, and happy holidays to everybody. Doesn't isn't Lindemann just finishing up all the reviews that he didn't finish for like the last couple of years? <laughs> he actually did get Spiderwick Chronicles out pretty much a year after the movie came out on DVD. Oh, that's timeliness is important. So picking up from last week where we Greg, Johnny and I did our games of the year, we wanted to give our guests the opportunity to reflect on what their, you know, handful of games of the year that they thought were really sublime. So I'll start with Billy. What games of the year or what were the games that really stood out for you this year? Wow. I mean, this was obviously an absolutely amazing year for gaming again. You know, my actual game of the year, there were two games that kind of really resonated with me. I thought Zelda would probably take it over, but Zelda actually was my second favorite game of the year. I absolutely adored that game. I thought it was fantastic. You know, I did have some issues with some of the controls, but I really liked the way the series finally advanced, and it hasn't advanced in a really long time, and I loved it, but uh, Portal 2 was definitely my game of the year. I've played through it twice, once on PC, once on 360, and uh, the co-op, playing with one of my best friends back in Minnesota, for me, was just absolutely outstanding. So, you know, there's a lot of, due to the fact that I moved <laughs> a couple weeks ago, um, a lot of the big uh, holiday releases I haven't been able to finish. So I haven't, I've barely scratched the surface on Skyrim. That's something I'm looking forward to coming back to playing. I haven't touched Halo Anniversary, which I know it's a remake, but that's a game that I definitely want to finish. But there's a lot of great games. Mario 3D Land, I still haven't, you know, I've barely touched that. I'm looking forward to, over the holiday, uh, getting some more time with that. I would definitely say that the remake of Ocarina of Time, uh, I loved playing through that again. I haven't played it since the original, so oh, wow. that was really fun to go back to. Yeah, and that's why I was really, I was actually like, okay, Nintendo, I don't want any more fucking remakes but you can make that one, and that's cool, because I actually really do want to go back and play that. Yeah, I've, I've played it too many times. I mean, I, I got the Master Quest finished on the GameCube disc, nice. and that was kind of buggy. <laughs> yes, it was. That was still eight years ago, though. But the 3D was really good, and it was a good it was showing of how 3D can be really good on that system. And it's definitely telling when you see Mario 3D Land. I mean, the 3D in that game was just freaking amazing. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I mean... For me, that game was actually the first time I got anything substantive on the 3DS, so it's kind of special in that by default. Because, I mean, the longest game I played before that was Rayman 2, which is a remake <laughs> of a remake of a remake. So it got on my list, or almost on, simply because it was a substantive and good 3DS experience. Yeah, but I mean, I still have a pile of games, that, I, as I said, that I still need to get to. Um Actually, one of the games that I absolutely loved this year as well was NHL 12, which I know those games don't come to Wii anymore. But man, I, and I, as a hockey fan, it's just fantastic. I think it's probably the best sports game this year. So, uh, TYP, what what are your choices for your games of the year? Well, my my haphazardly put together list is uh, 
Perfect. Yeah, I got a haphazard list here. So uh, number five here is uh, Pilot Wings Resort. Because I, although I didn't nice. play it for too long, I had a lot of fun with it. And it was a really good use of the 3D when it first came out, I thought. Um, number four is Skyward Sword. I, I really like the game. But uh, for all the reasons you guys have talked about on this podcast already, it just wasn't quite what I was hoping it would be. I, I love the controls, with the exception of once or twice with the Skyward Strike. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a great game. I, I really like the dungeon designs and the combat uh, but the backtracking and filling in the middle, padding in the middle, really did bother me. Although I, I grew to like the, the spirit realm stuff a little bit. Overall, I, I thought it was kind of mean-spirited. Because a couple <laughs> times I died at the very end. Like one time I had gotten all the <laughs> jewels and then promptly like ran into like a light. One of those guys with the lanterns. Uh, yeah, there is that little bit at the end where you've got everything, but you still have to get back to the start. Yeah, yeah. so I, I learned I learned my lesson the hard way. And from then on, I planned on having one of those remaining, whatever you call them, uh, <laughs> seeds or whatever. Tears of joy. <laughs> Te- tears of joy um, <laughs> close to the exit. You know, I, I learned my lesson, but yeah, uh, sure. yeah. man, that was, that pissed me off. So it's like, oh, great, I'm done. And then, oh, crap. Yeah. The, little, the, <laughs> the water that came out of the ground was incredibly mean-spirited because you could yeah. just be like, like, okay, we're going to go in. Oh. Um, number three is Radiant Historia, which, uh, again, you guys have talked about a lot. I've talked about <laughs> a lot on this show, too. Great game. Great music. Number two, Ghost Trick, as, as you might imagine, I, I was the individual who lent my copy of Ghost Trick to Johnny. So uh, made it all possible. Made right? it all possible. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the Ace Attorney games, so uh, it's no surprise that I enjoyed Ghost Trick as well. And number one is Super Mario 3D Land, as you might imagine. I had reservations like Johnny uh, from E3, and I'm not sure if they tweaked the controls or if it was just really difficult to maintain focus at E3, or or maybe it's because I didn't have the 3D turned on most of the time. I don't know what it was, but I really couldn't run and jump very well when I played it at E3, and I didn't have that problem at all when I when I jumped into it at home. And uh, again, you've talked about it already, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is that sweet spot between uh, like Galaxy and Mario Three, and uh, it's its own unique thing as well. So I think that that wraps up this until Lindemann returns, and we can ask him what five games he didn't play this year that he thought would be really awesome. <laughs> He's gonna say World of Warcraft. Well, I, I actually I I do want to shout out two things that aren't really eligible. Okay. I didn't play a lot of games this year, but I did play a few virtual console games. Two in particular that I'll, I remember very fondly are uh, Final Fantasy III, which I'd never played before. Yeah. And Donkey Kong uh, for the Game Boy. No, it's really, Donkey Kong I had played before, unlike Final Fantasy III, but uh, that is really... I need to play that. Oh, you do. It's really, really good. There really were a lot of really good download games this year. I mean, it, I'm very curious to see how many years away we are from... Not putting them in a different, you know, separate category like Bastion. You know, I played that for hours, you know, and that's that was just as much as long as a lot of console games that I p- played this year, if not mm-hmm. longer. I mean, hell, Call of Duty took five hours, you know, whatever to beat. That's one sitting. I mean, Bastion, I played for a long time. And I heard Pushmo's the same way. It's got some meat on it, too. Right. So I, I guess... That'll have to do for now. So I'm actually going to hand the reins of the show over to Greg, and he's going to shepherd us through a collection of emails. 
Yeah, we've got been getting a lot of emails, and Johnny mentioned this last week, and we've received even more in the interim. So uh, for this week's show, from now on, we're just going to focus on getting as many of these covered as we possibly can. Although there's one about the possibility of Retro Studios working on a future Zelda title that in good conscience I could not cover in Johnny's absence. So uh, you, could, <laughs> <laughs> you can wait for a future episode for that topic to be covered, but uh, we've still got plenty of ground to work with here, so I am going to hand off the first letter to TYP. All right. Well, uh, Jim in British Columbia, Canada writes, Nintendo will finally be featuring demos on the 3DS and presumably the Wii U when it launches. I was just wondering what kind of experiences you guys have had with demos. Any instances where it convinced you to either buy or avoid a game? For me, I usually have my mind made up well before I play the demo, so they've had little effect on me, aside from letting me experience a game I was never going to buy. In the instance of trial versions of XBLA games, I've enjoyed several of those I've played, but never felt the need to go beyond the trial. Just my experience thus far. Certainly demos are necessary. Also, how many emails did you receive this week from Sarah from Iowa City? Depressingly none. <laughs> There'll be more on that later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, demos, of course, 3DS in Japan, they've already started getting them. They've got yes. the, the Tri-G demo. They've even gone back, actually, for all that Tri-G demo was uh, up before the game was actually released. But then they've also had demos, things like Dead or Alive Dimensions, that have been out for months. So right. uh, it seems like they're going to be offering kind of a, a, a wide range of, of demos for the Rita release games. Uh, but, of course, there is the third try limit that we've discussed <laughs> right. before. Now, and entirely unrelated to the fact that they released a demo of Tri-G, it sold about 100 billion copies. Yeah, it's, it's well, they've already shipped a million, to be precise, I think, and they, they've already sold most of that, like three quarters of that. Uh, so it's, it's a game Thank well. Thank you for your predictability, Japan. It seems to, well, it's, it seems like it's going to quite rapidly outsell its console version. They did not need to release a demo to <laughs> no. entice no. people to buy that. I wonder what this game's like. Oh! Well, to that question, I mean, for me, there's a quite a big separation here between demos of a retail game and demos of a downloadable game, XBLA games, obviously, uh, Jim mentions in his question. But, you know, because downloadable games don't tend to get as much coverage... Sure. Uh, as a retail game, I'm very much more inclined to play demos of those to get a sense of what the game is and whether I would enjoy it and whether it'd be worth buying. So those tend to be the kind of demos I've actually tried. I haven't really got that many demos of retail games that I could say I have tried. So Yeah, I, I actually, because I was broke for a while, I mean a long time, like since I was a small child, I've been playing demos primarily on PCs because that's where the purveyance of demos were pretty much my entire life. And for a while, that was my gaming hit was all I had were demos. So I knew what the first level of like 800 games was like. (laughs) But beyond that, I was just totally like, I don't know what comes after the first stage of Doom. You tell me. But what I found with the, especially with the Xbox, which has a tremendous demo service, if, if you have gold membership, of course, is that. All the XBLA games have demos, which means you can pretty much try anything with the only exception being you might waste a few minutes downloading it. And then when you buy it, you pretty much have it instantly because it pretty much downloads the entire game. Yeah. The difference with the disc games is if you buy – if you get the demo, which a lot of them have demos on the service, you still have to actually engage in a separate transaction to get the game. Um, I like – for good for example was Rock of Ages 
on the XBLA, which I adore. But the only thing I knew about it was the fact that it was on the back of my E3 lanyard like 800 years ago. <laughs> and then it finally came out, and I got a press release for it. I'm like, well, let's just see what the demo is like. And I was sold on the game halfway through the first stage. And when, when the menu popped up, do you want to buy this game? I'm hammering on the A button. Just go, yes, I want it. Give it to me now. Yeah, with downloadable games, it's similar for me. I had, uh, I there was the Blood Rain way forward game, you know, the side-scrolling sort of Castlevania-ish kind of thing of theirs that, you know, it, it received some reviews, some favourable reviews, and I read some of those, but it's not a huge kind of breadth of reviews that you'd get if you were dealing with a big retail release, or even a modest retail release, probably. So the ability to download, like you said, the whole game, you play some of it, it pretty much, I didn't actually buy it until a little bit after when it was sold at a minor discount, but in the terms of the intent to purchase, I was sold on it in the middle of the demo period. So it certainly has happened in that case. Right. It, Steam has a similar setup, except every game, obviously, you can download immediately because it's a download service. There's quite a few games I've downloaded demos for on Steam and have just bought outright as soon as I was done with the demo because I was just engaged. Well, as far as disc-based games or cart-based games in some cases, um, since I'm usually buying them you know, on the second wave you know, after the games are out for a little while, it's nice for me to say games that I kind of remember people talking about from a few months ago and I just go pull down the demo and say, ah, okay, that's what that game's like. Yeah, I guess that's okay. But for me, it's already been whittled down a bit because I'm sort of riding behind the main wave of people who played the game. Yeah, so you, your mind hasn't necessarily been all the way made up like right. Jim, but you've already kind of funneled it down to a, a, a pretty narrow kind of range. Yeah, I mean, it's prevented me from buying some games, like uh, the Bladestorm demo was, was utterly hellacious. <laughs> that game was like $4. I'm like, well, maybe. I'll go home and play the demo. And I'm like, oh... Oh, no, no, we, we, don't, we don't want this game. Yeah, I kind of agree with both you guys. I think for someone that isn't buying a lot of games or doesn't have as much disposable income, I think it's great because then, hey, they have a ton of shit to play. Granted, not all of them are great, but just like you said, you always had stuff to play. Right. I actually find I don't really download retail demos anymore unless it's like a beta or like a multiplayer beta or something like that right i know i you know at least i'm seasoned enough or at least i've been to enough preview events or seen enough that i know what i want and mm -hmm. you know as far as like retail disc based but you know a lot of download games I'll, I'll try it and buy it and or i'll try it and not buy it but you know i think it's great especially for those games exactly like you guys said that don't get a lot of exposure that you can actually give it a whirl and definitely i've spent plenty of microsoft space bucks and playstation <laughs> on psn after playing a demo and like oh shit here we go bought it yeah for me i, I wouldn't i'm not very scattershot with it i mean you know it'll be something that i've got some sort of interest in again like because you say for instance with blood right you know it's made by way forward i've played plenty of their games so i've got right. a pretty good idea i haven't really got into that point yet of like trying a lot of stuff that seems like a bit more out of my wheelhouse or just even more obscure you know i haven't got to that point yet but i was interested i mean particularly with typ you know if you we get to the point where you've got 3ds and wii u and they both have you know demos for the downloadable games maybe you know across the board like you do with xbla in the future possibly and the retail games do you think it will change the way you size up a game for purchasing in the future i think i'm the only guy who's not really a demo person because I, I don't even check out the demos that are posted on nintendo's services <laughs> yeah. i 
I've only checked out a few demos, and usually they result in me either buying a game and not then not liking it, or I buy I get the demo and I'm like, yeah, I'm not really interested in this. So for for me, I just sort of ignore demos. I mean, like uh, the, that PS3 game that I that. Lindy likes, but I don't like. What the hell was it that I bought? Folklore. Folklore, thank you. I got the demo. I liked it enough, so I bought the game and I used GameShot, and then I promptly didn't like it anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and obviously, that's it. Nice. Make, there's just been a few experiences like that that, that just sort of soured me on the concept of, of demos. It's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've obviously had games where I'm like, yeah, this demo's great, and then got the game home. I'm like, oh, the demo is literally all there is. Yeah. I don't know. The problem is I play so few games now that, like Billy kind of <laughs> says, I kind of know the ones I want. And I might ch- I've might i checked out a few demos, like maybe um, the one with the ink blobs. World of Goo. World of Goo, thank you. So I checked out the demo of that. Everyone was raving about it. I didn't get it. I didn't think it was any fun. And so I just don't give a fuck about demos. And maybe it's because I grew up as a Nintendo guy when, with no demos at all. You know, I never grew up with having demos. And all I need, all you need is Nintendo Power to tell you what to play. That's I never right. really had Nintendo Power either. The party <laughs> press will make sure you know what's good for you. Actually, didn't Fluidity have a demo? Like, you could play a trial? It, I'm pretty then... sure he got one at some point, yeah. I, Johnny was talking about that game, and he's like, oh, download the demo, and then you're going to want it, and sure as shit, you know? <laughs> yep. I mean, I saw it. I played it at PAX, but playing the demo, I was like, yeah, this game's pretty rad. And that's actually another game I need to go back to. <laughs> yeah, that's an, that's another game that everyone raves about, but I didn't really like that much. I, I stopped playing it. I didn't like the controls. Do you, do you just not like games anymore? Is that, is that the main is, is problem? That, I like Mario 3D Land. I like Radiant Astoria. Yes, I know, I know. But I mean, I think the main way that will affect me will be with the downloadable games in future. You know, I think there's probably... A number of WiiWare games and DSiWare games that I have thought about getting, but I think a demo could have pushed me over the edge. But you know, either there wasn't a demo at that point that I was interested, and then it kind of loses its half-life, you know, in, in your mind of, of being interested in it or things like that. You know, so I think it probably they they have lost a certain amount of my money by not having a comprehensive sort of demo. Uh, system in place I would agree. over the life of this system but uh, yeah, I do hope that they're going to get all that sort of thing right I mean obviously that's the thing at the minute with the 3DS yes we're getting these sort of limited retail demos but that's not really what I'm more interested in right at this point. you know I want those those downloadable games kind of across the board but uh, again Nintendo still sort of uh, maintains a certain amount of reticence about that I mean obviously that 30 play thing is kind of ridiculous but at the same time <laughs> it, the, you know, they, they, they think about it enough to put it in there so you do wonder whether they'd say you know every single first party downloadable title would they make it compulsory to have a demo on those Hmm, i'm not so sure it might be some that they'd rather keep completely under wraps i don't know isn't it like yamauchi had a long-standing policy of of uh demos killing the game industry yeah, yeah well. I, I, there's definitely some uh, relation to that, I think. But uh, I, I, I can't help but be somewhat progressive in, in this area with the next systems. I forget which developer told me this, but they said that they sell more copies of a download game if they put a demo out after it's been released. I can believe that. Because I guess you get you get a certain people who will go through the necessary pain of downloading the demo simply based on word of mouth. 
Right. Yeah, and also you probably get a few people that maybe at launch, they're like, well, I'd kind of like to play this at launch, maybe when it's most topical or, right. you know, that kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, if they just have the option of playing the demo, then that's enough for them. You, you get kind of a second bump. I think there's probably is some wisdom with uh, having the demo as a secondary thing. And maybe you could get a few people uh, that'll just sort of tip over the edge early and then maybe mop up some of the potentially interested guys later. Oh, that makes sense commercially. Yeah, I mean, there, I haven't bought a single download game except on Wii where I didn't have a choice in the matter on, on a service without playing its demo, ever. Well, if you've got the option, it's like, why not? <laughs> right. In games I would have never bought, and just buying the demo just to kill time, like uh, NBA Jam, I now own and have logged many hours in, and in many cases going, why did I buy that? <laughs> <laughs> but I bought it, and they got my money, so after Burner Climax, you're welcome. To, to set the record straight, <laughs> wow. I, I don't hate games. I, I feel like I've been a jerk <laughs> so far on this uh, episode. <laughs> I don't think so. We'll just say you're filling in for Lindemann, then you're good. <laughs> well, if we're filling in for Lindemann, I would have bought lots of games and not played them. It, roughly the same effect, don't worry. Well, we now move on to the next letter. I've got this one. This is Billy in San Jose, California, not Seattle. Although I'm surprised, but as a big Twin Peaks fan like myself, I'm surprised it's taken you this long to get out to the Pacific Northwest, by the way. It's true. I'm I'm very close to the Black Lodge, so I'm, I'm very... <laughs> you could just enjoy the strobe effect and running around your house and no discernible sense of direction. <laughs> that's what that's what my apartment looks like. It's just I always have some weird strobe light and some Red crazy drapes, wallpaper. Black and white yeah. floor. <laughs> anyway, this other Billy writes Thanks for sharing my email on RFN270. The response was great, and your reaction to Sarah Miller was perfect. <laughs> I've been listening to RFN for Son about two years. And sometimes you guys mentioned episode 103, James Jones, Box Hunter, <laughs> and I had to go back and listen to it. In 103, James comes out about Sarah, and I thought it was so funny, I felt moved to bring Sarah back into the mix. So the mystery is there solved. As I said, just think about it statistically, it was never a good no. uh, chance with the size of our listenership, so there it is. Well played, Billy. I appreciate your attention to detail. Anyway, your discussion about Shigeru Miyamoto was very interesting. You guys pointed out that he has been a big influence in the video game industry, and I have seen that in the majority of first-party titles from Nintendo over the past few decades. But what does being director of a video game mean compared to being a supervisor, designer, or producer? Since Miyamoto could be moving smaller projects within Nintendo, could this mean Nintendo would possibly move towards a more next-generation approach to hardware and software development? I'm not sure what they mean by next generation approach to hardware. I would assume that means some sort of greater preoccupation with uh, tech supremacy numbers. Triangle numbers? <laughs> 800 billion triangles? Maybe, yeah. I, it's difficult to be exactly sure of what he's meant there, but uh, I certainly think not. I think, as I, we mentioned when we did the uh, discussion about Miyamoto's non-retirement uh, a, a couple of weeks ago... Damn you, Kohler. Whatever his change in what he's actually doing in terms of developing games, I think his strategic role in terms of guiding how they're going to carve out their place in the market and what what general sort of gaming company they're going to be still holds true. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see any kind of a philosophical change, a change of their corporate ethos to like, well, you know, now we're all about being the biggest, baddest thing on the market. Well, and, and why would they? Because it made them a lot of money. 
Yeah. It seems like he already made this announcement a few years ago. I seem to recall him saying something similar about, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, be overseeing things as much anymore. I, I think. I, yeah. I think he just used the word retirement here, which is, which is, you know, a big yeah, red flag. Yeah. And he used it very explicitly. It wasn't <laughs> he, like, he described uh... running around screaming it effectively. Yeah, so you could understand why it's happened, but I know what you mean, to It doesn't. It's not a bolt from the blue yeah, by no. any means. What his remarks here, it might actually be more of an aspiration than reality yeah. as well. They probably just keep poking him like, "Nah, you got to oversee this, mate." Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think he. I think he has been removed, though. You know, obviously, I do think he has some influence. You know, overseeing stuff and guiding it a little bit, but like he's not like hands-on everyday programming shit. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I, I no, think no, no. Nintendo's like, all right, we got E3 coming out. Let's wheel out the man. And he comes out and yay, you know, and like... He's Kermit. He's Kermit the Frog. Yay, look at this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Super Mario Sunshine, it was like, yeah, it's Miyamoto, it's Miyamoto, until the game, you know, people didn't like it as much as they were hoping to. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, well, it wasn't really Miyamoto. It was this guy that they threw under the bus. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't understand next-gen development. I mean... But we'll go back to the in terms of Miyamoto being removed or this that, and the other. That ties into the question of you know we were talking about when was the last time he directed a game and it was in the the late nineties with Ocarina of Time or the sixty four DD Paint Studio well, thing. Well, we should clarify what being a director means versus like a producer. So if you're directing a game, it's your full time job. You are working on that game. And yep. you were overseeing the project. You kind of have the artistic lead in a lot of cases. And so you're kind of part program manager, so to speak, and part artist. But you're, you're dedicated to that project. And you were seeing, making decisions day to day. If you're producing it, you're looking at it from afar. You check on it once a week or whatever. And, and you have meetings with the people that are working on it day to day. And, and that's what Miyamoto's been doing lately. He's been, he, he's been going to lots of meetings, you know, or a virtual, teleconference with retro studios on metroid or checking out what they're doing in tokyo he hasn't really been crafting a game and he hasn't been working hand in hand with a team to develop a game i mean i'm sure these roles are different within different kinds of corporate structures different cultures of development probably between you know japanese developers and 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 western developers i'm sure they're different you know in some cases a producer i would imagine would be strictly sort of logistical in his role it's just like Mm -hmm. let's get this done on time on budget and coordinate with the marketing people or whatever and that's it whereas of course Miyamoto is a developer he has that background so he can reach in and 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 be not necessarily a driver but certainly like a modifier of the creative process where he sees fit but yeah he's not actually fashioning and 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 Mm -hmm. driving forward the creative vision by himself that's what you would think of with the director role and that's so therefore is what he has not been doing for the past nearly decade and a half and and that gets back to what you were discussing last episode about upending the tea table because he's not involved on a day-to-day basis with some of these projects that are still close to his heart when he finds out that there's something he really dislikes, like whatever, too much story in Mario, he'll <laughs> just come here. in and he'll, he'll just... I think that is a far more likely thing to happen if Miyamoto really were completely removed from overseeing Mario games and Zelda games. They'd be far more likely thing to happen the next generation developers. All of a sudden, like, Koizumi just goes insane and gives <laughs> Mario, like, full dialogue and it's like a soap <laughs> opera playing out. <laughs> I thought he just walked around and ate mushrooms and... 
and played with his dog and cats and <laughs> ended up in a cave and all this other shit, right? Isn't that what he does? Occasionally, he capped into a submarine on weekends. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he comes into the office and paints every single pixel of every single Nintendo-made game with his magic paintbrush, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think we've brought out the distinction there pretty well between director and, and producer. It gives you a, a somewhat better idea, perhaps, of exactly you know, how he's kind of moved further and further away from the trenches, as it were, right. yes. with the development as time's gone on. But uh, we'll move on now. And uh, the next letter, James, you'll read this one. Riffo writes, While listening to Greg talk about the idea of a sequel to Super Mario 3D Land, where Yoshi would be added, I thought back to Super Mario World, which was basically my first video game. Parenthetically, Riffo notes he was born in 94. I would throw my money at Nintendo to have a new and shinier version of that game with a few additions. Having said that, a very large portion of releases nowadays are remakes, yet they rarely hold up as well as an original or sequential title. Why do you think that is? Also, are there any games you think would be great candidates to be remade for the 3DS or Wii U? I don't know if it's fair to say a great portion are remakes. Eh? I mean, there's quite a lot. I mean, I don't know about great portion, but more in an absolute sense, there's quite a lot. A, a notable portion would might be a better way of putting it. If you look at this year's releases alone, it was a year of sequels. But we are so far along in the console cycle. Most of the times, especially in this generation, well, actually, that's not true because there's a lot of there's actually new new franchises debuting across you know, multiple platforms now yep. this year and next year. But that being said, most games are sequels. And actually, most of, most of the time, I I think he's wrong. Like, I think sequels are generally better than the originals. No, isn't that what he's saying? No, he isn't saying either. He's, he's saying that remakes rarely hold up as well as the original. I, know he's saying, I think what he says, as an original, I think he's made an original title, like an original game in a series, a new, you know. A, new, a new IP, as it were. Well, to a certain extent, I mean, I'm not sure I entirely agree, but to a certain extent, it depends on how loyal the remake is to the original game. I mean, I've played remakes that are essentially tangentially the same game that they were remade from. Effectively, they're completely different titles. But I've also played remakes that are just straight ports. Like, they don't even get graphical upgrades. They're just hard port one system to another. Well, one thing that we've seen quite a lot of recently is, you know, the sort of the HD, HD re-release, you know. Uh, the, the PS3 has been big mm. with putting discs out of that, but then you get the digital version as well. You know, Eco right. Collection, Splinter Cell Trilogy, Tomb Raider, uh, you know, they put out tons and tons of stuff from the PS2 era, sort of just... Metal Gear. Sure, the banjo yeah. games. Yeah. And Ubisoft did. They did Beyond Good and Evil. They've done a bunch of them. They did the Prince of Persia one too, didn't they? That's right. I yep. Think. Yep. No, it's been an awful, awful lot. And then, of course, we had 3DS with Star Fox and Ocarina. And, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, Sup it, remakes. It's happening a lot. In terms of how well they hold it, I mean, obviously, a lot of it, first of all, depends on the original game. Right, and a lot of those remakes were remakes of relatively modern games, so it's they're not having to jump through major redevelopment hoops. It's not like you're remaking a 2D game as a 3D game. I think it also depends on how much development resources are put into it. Like, Beyond Good and Evil was buggy as shit, you know, like, that didn't work out. I mean, remember playing Majora on the GameCube disc? Mm. That had a lot of bugs on it, too, but, like, I've played a lot of HD, you know, I played Eco when that was re-released this year and i thought it was fantastic you know so i mean it depends on the team behind who's doing it like ocarina time as i said one of my favorite games this year they put effort into that they yeah, didn't I mean, just they brought in a third company third party company just to make that game i mean with yeah. Star Fox as well Star Fox 64 you, you bring in q games 
and they did a you know, really good job because they were actually you know, sort of redesigning the 3D models, uh, you know, in a way that I created it wasn't. So they did a very good job of you know, re- faithfully recreating it, but at the same time, it actually looked much, much better than well, its original version. I- I'm going to play Virtual Johnny here and say that if it's a good remake, they probably should have just created a sequel. Um, if you were going to put that much effort into it, why not create a new game? But it's a particular kind of effort, isn't it? I mean, there's the kind of making sure that it's very carefully it's presented. Sound. It's technically sound. You clean it up where it needs to be cleaned up, but it's not creative effort. That's not the, yeah. you know, if you're doing a sequel, people's expectations change and therefore they demand that there is a, a creative effort underway yeah. that uh, really brings something new to the table in most cases. I think you can say to a certain extent these remakes cash in on past memories of the games, like the Final Fantasy remakes we had for DS, where they were ground-up remakes of the game, and primarily the only thing they really kept was the plot line. I mean, they, they certainly didn't reuse any assets. Right, and at some point a remake becomes like a, a reimagining. I mean, like, Metroid... Zero Mission. Metroid and Metroid Zero are very different games. <laughs> yeah, they're basically not the same game. Yeah, Resident Evil for GameCube. There's, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches to I mean, Super Castlevania 4 is kind of a remake of the original Castlevania, but most people wouldn't think of it that way because it's rather different, you know. But uh, so some of it, you get into semantics about what what is a remake, what is a reimagining, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I, I, I mean, I can go back to a game I just recently reviewed, which was the Ace Combat 3DS game, where it's a remake of the second Ace Combat game, but you'd only know that because they use the same character names. The plot's not even really the same. So, I mean, I think you know, with this sort of trend, obviously, the reason why you have more of it now is because you have a great a sort of bandwidth in the industry with digital distribution, with the amount of your know, developers you can go to that can do a reliable job of this. That this kind of the space for this kind of re-release is far greater than it used to be. And also, there's a new audience there. There's a new generation happening yep. all the time. So, I but mean, at the like... same time, it has a built-in audience as well. You've got that kind of Nostalgia. foundation there. The people that that it has the cachet, it has the brand recognition but then yeah. on the same but on the on the other hand there will be a market that's waiting for it because you know they were too young when it originally came out or maybe they owned the other system in the console war or whatever you right. know so you've got those both avenues there you could see why it happens but i mean in terms of how they hold up it's a case-by-case basis obviously you know i think i think a lot of what makes for a good remake or a good re-release a uh, port updated port is if the original had some problems that would, you know, make it inaccessible today or, or be put, you know, make it really ugly or had, like Billy said, some bugs. I know what you mean. That there's some games that have things that perhaps could be quite easily remedied. Right. Right. For instance, older games sometimes had some pretty funny archaic attitudes towards even saving the game right. or lives. Or so you things that are pretty trivial to change that would actually make it a lot more accessible and fun. Uh, you know, for the average sort of punter nowadays. Or on the other hand, some technical limitations. I mean, for instance, uh, Riffo asks about what I think would be some good candidates for a remake. I mean, something I would always like to see is a remake of the original Star Fox because mm-hmm. it was obviously pushing the Super Nintendo and its little FX chip in the cartridge too far. The frame rate is awful. 
the graphics are bordered, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I still think it's a, you know, a very enjoyable, challenging game in principle. But of course, it isn't on Virtual Console. But if it were, I think it'd be tough to swallow. Whereas if you went to a 3DS remake and you said, okay, let's have the frame rate nice and smooth, let's have a 3D effect, you could also clean up the graphics, but probably keep that kind of retro style in place, mm-hmm. so it would be more like some like Xscape that Q Games did on DSiWare, mm-hmm. so it's got a kind of retro cool kind of look to it, but it's attractive, then I think you've got something where you could actually bring out the merits of the original game much more fully than they were actually in the first place because it was held back by those technical limitations and you could probably give more options for like continues and stuff because it was you know it was really stingy with those mm-hmm. as I recall yeah. so that, that's a good candidate for me something that could easily be kind of you know without changing the fundamentals of the game which ultimately you probably don't want to do that because that's what people really kind of want to see brought back but you could just make it easy for people to enjoy it in any number of uh, a few ways I'd like to see Wave Race on the 3DS or even Wii U, but with online multiplayer. Yeah, yeah that's, an, that's another good way, isn't it? I mean, you just like, you know, F-Zero X, pretty it up a little bit online with 30 guys. That would be uh, outrageous fun. Or, or really, they could re-release GameCube games on Wii U and just add online play in place of standard multiplayer. God, well, actually, that's what I've been wishing they would do with Virtual Console is just when you play two players or whatever of a NES game, uh, really, is it that hard to add fucking netcode? I mean, I'm no. not a programmer. Well, but they like... did it. They did it with the Super Street Fighter 2 in Japan. <laughs> yes, they for, did for I the Genesis. That actually happened just recently in Japan. The- in Japan, but apparently it will be coming out to other territories. But this is just very. I find it difficult to believe as we're on day five hundred of the Virtual Console strike. Not quite. No, we but... can talk about we can talk about remakes and all the all you want, but I mean, it definitely affects Nintendo gamers quite a lot. I mean, Nintendo's released games on fucking paper for Christ's sake. I mean, you know when they did those cards. Yes, the, the, uh, the e-readers. As somebody who just moved across, you know, a couple states and hauled all of that shit with me. Uh, like, man, that's a piece of bulk I avoided. I've got all this crap that, I, I mean, these games, that, that I've got ten different versions of it. I think what, why it's so prone to happen with Nintendo, obviously they have a rich heritage. They have a yep. lot of really great games that they've made in the past to draw upon. They also have that built-in fan base that probably is quite eager to play it again. Uh, maybe also more... known as suckers like me. <laughs> well, you know, if it's, it's like with Ocarina for me, it's like Sub- I would... Capcom. I would never be motivated to play Ocarina again in front of the telly. You give it to me portably, not only am I motivated to do it, but I've got to enjoy it a lot. So it, it, there's reasons for it, but the point is, I think, with Nintendo is that they've, they, because they you know, are a platform holder, they've always got that strategic responsibility of, like, we need to populate the system and right. space out releases and all that. And <laughs> so you're getting Zelda and Star Fox. Enjoy. But it'd be so, I mean, GBA didn't even have an original Mario game. Because they just kept going to the <laughs> no, old No, we ones. ended up with this bizarro numbering system. So sometimes it's just like, well, our development teams are committed to this, this, and this, but we still need something else to put in there, so let's reach into the vault and, and pluck that out. So it's something that's going to go on you know, for, for a long time with Nintendo, and I'm sure we will see a number of remakes on Wii U uh, as well. So this kind of brings us on to the next question, in a way, sort of related. Uh, so, Billy, why don't you take this one? Okay. 
Tom in Rochester, New York writes, I was thinking about backwards compatibility with Wii U. What if Nintendo enhanced a select number of Wii titles to take advantage of the new functionality of Wii U? For example, you pop in your Super Mario Galaxy 2 disc, and instead of having to push a button to go into first-person view, you just hold up the Wii U tablet controller and look around the level. I was thinking this could be possible if Nintendo upgrades their ability to patch games. However, I realize that Nintendo may not consider doing something like this because it would make sense for them financially. Well, there's, there's your answer right there. Uh, yep. <laughs> number one, it would encourage current Wii owners to play their old games on the new system, and two, Nintendo wouldn't be able to resell the, the game to you yep. as they did with new play control versions of GameCube games that were released on Wii. I don't even know if this is possible on a technical level. However, I thought it could give all of those casual Wii owners out there another reason to consider picking up a Wii U, as well as encourage those of us already planning on getting the Wii U to not resell our games. Has something like this been done on other consoles in the past? Mm, Well, kind of. Yeah, I think he answered his own question by saying it wouldn't make sense for them financially. I mean, they would Nintendo would have to use bandwidth and resources to make you want to go back and play old games? No, Nintendo wants you to buy new shit. Now, I could see them selling a enhanced GameCube or enhanced Wii game on their online service. Sure. Pretending Nintendo has a competent online service, which is very much in doubt. And that's the thing, is what we was just talking about, you know, with the Wii U, there's probably going to be some gaps in the light like there was on Wii. There was that, you know, they blew their load big time when you had Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, Wii Fit, you know, all came out at once. The original Galaxy all came out within the space of a few months, and then they had nothing. So what do we get? You got new play control, uh, Pikmin and Metroid Prime, all that kind of stuff, you know, to sort of fill in the gaps. And so you you wouldn't want to kind of take that away from yourself as an option, exactly as he points out. So I mean, you will see, I think, enhanced version. Of course, another thing we just talked about, the HD version, right? A Me- Metroid Prime remake, remake, Wind Waker HD with better controls, or you know that these are the sorts of things that they could sell to you, either in on a disc or maybe, as James says, if they actually put more emphasis on the digital space as a premium downloadable game. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. you might see some like upscaling for the emulated, you know, games you're playing. A Wii game, maybe they can upscale it, kind of like how PS3 upscales PS2 games or PS1 games. But I mean, e- right. even upscaled GameCube games, in many cases, look really good. Now, in, in some cases, they look awful. <laughs> Dude, go back and play F-Zero GX on your HDTV with component cables, and that game still holds up and is freaking amazing. Yes. I uh, No, Nintendo wants you to buy new stuff. That's the bottom line. I think, has it been done before? Didn't the... And I could be wrong. There was some GBA game or some... So there are multiple Game Boy Color games that when you had them in the GBA, they would have extra content. But those were built with the intention of having that. Like Zelda. The two Zelda games on Game Boy Color, the two original Zelda games on Game Boy Color, had you could access a special area if you plugged them into the GBA. That that was built with it, though. I mean, that's that's the difference. Right. Like something like, that was, it was from design. Even something like, like the lock-on cartridge for Sonic 3 and Knuckles... They planned that. Now, maybe they did a hack for Sonic 2 to get Knuckles in there. I'm not sure. And, <laughs> yeah. and that was one heck Sprite of a hack. That's the sort of thing you'd be talking about doing in the, here if you're like talking about like latching onto and modifying code on a disc. Yeah, you'd be doing some Game Genie garbage. Probably could be done if you were booting it originally off of whatever, a hard drive, and it's a Wii U executable. But 
I see no reason for Nintendo to do it. It would, be, it would be a technical challenge, and if they could just rebuild it, you know, HD, add some extra content, that's what they would do. So, I mean, any are there any particular GameCube or Wii games that you'd like uh, to see as a HD remix kind of thing go on with with tablet controls or whatever? Any any outstanding candidates? Because it probably will happen. Wind Waker. Yeah, I don't really do the tablet controls, but I'll take an HD Wind Waker. Well, I mean, there was the Tingle Tuner, which very few people got to use, and I think it would probably true. do something with the Tingle Tuner on the tablet controller. And if you look at the inventory management of Ocarina 3D, the 3DS, and apply that to then just, you know, on the tablet controller yeah. again, I mean, that, that did smoothen the experience significantly playing it on that so you could apply the same thing but you you could argue that the skyward sword inventory management is significantly more smooth because it's in game well yes but the thing is that's a new game i mean with this it's, right. it's you you could you're just sort of putting that pause screen onto a controller so you don't have to pause it you know you could you could easily do that within the confines of the existing game design I would almost guarantee that we will see a Wind Waker remake on 3DS or Wii U. I would bet it's already in development. And the other thing as well is that having just finished Skyward Sword, we must assume that while I'm sure a Zelda for Wii U will be a priority, it is years and years away. Oh, sure. So if they want to get something out there in that brand... Early in the launch window, maybe? Well, in the launch window, first year, something where the, an original game couldn't possibly arrive within that time frame. I think a Wind Wake and HD remake would be a pretty good shout for that. I'd like to see Mario Sunshine remade. There, there were some technical problems with that game in terms of frame rate and, and the camera controls that I, I think they could really clean up. And, and the game looked really good, but they could clean up the textures some. I think it would look really good if they remade it. Yeah, so I think it's, it goes back to what you said before. I think as a good candidate in terms of you, there's, there's a few probably pretty simple things they could do that would actually significantly enhance it because mm. I'm sure it was rushed out because they needed to get their big guns out as soon as possible uh, back in 2002. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I loved that game. I don't think that game had camera problems. I just think people sucked. The pachinko thing was fucked. That is inarguable. <laughs> uh, I'm trolling. But, you know, I mean, I mean, those void levels, if you take, you know, that's kind of one of the things I really like about Super Mario 3D Land is at times it's kind of like playing those void levels where you never have to worry about the camera. Yeah. Which is always a fantasy of mine. <laughs> so, oh, I'm in the block. Great. There we go. But you could fix it <laughs> to a significant extent. It's another good choice. You know, I'm struggling to think of how... I mean, the problem is all we've played on Wii U, I mean, are even the most barest tech demos. So I'm really struggling with ways to apply existing games to that environment. Well, doesn't that, though, kind of go to another part of the letter of Tom's in that he talks about having that as kind of a bridge between the two systems? Maybe this would encourage people to get it because it would actually enable them to get more out of something they already have. I don't think that's the way Nintendo will go by any means, as you've said. But the, the, the fact remains, I think it is a kind of tricky thing to get people as it may be who you know haven't necessarily been playing Wii games regularly and not sort of on a steady diet of gaming in general 
to say, you know, I enjoyed the Wii, I've had this, but now I, I really need to upgrade. I mean, the, the main thing is just going to have to be compelling software in and of itself. But in terms yeah. of something that tries to trade off the Wii's existing success, which, of course, you'd like to do because it's hugely successful. It's one of the most successful consoles ever released onto the market. You know, you don't want to let that go to waste. You want to make that work for you as much as possible. But it's it's tough. I mean, certainly just calling it Wii U is not the way to do that. No, I and I, I do not think that, for example, my parents bought a Wii. And they bought a Wii because it was all the rage to play you know, Wii Sports. And that was a big deal. Nintendo needs to do something of that caliber to get those people to go back to the wall or buy it again. Because right now, that Wii is sitting next to all of the other shit that they bought and used once or twice, and they just don't use it anymore. I just don't, I don't see anything about the Wii U that they've been, that they've shown so far that's going to get people to go back to the well again. No, they need to, they need to provide a compelling experience that's targeted towards that demographic if they want to see them again. Yeah, I think the thing, one of the things about the expanded audience uh, that they succeeded with the Wii uh, and they succeeded with the DS is that it's not so easy to sort of piggyback more success to perpetuate it. Uh, as it is with other types of gamers, you know, I think it, because it's more habitual in general, it's easy to build off that and with hitting the same franchises again or with remakes or whatever. Whereas with this kind of customer, I think you, you've really got to earn it all over again each time. You know, right. there's, no, there's no shortcut to this. They're, ju- they're just going to have to create something that's got that kind of really powerful immediate sort of appeal that people just even have sort of a vague notion of it will be persuaded to try it. Right. I mean, you're not going to be able to trade off nostalgia the same way, obviously, because they don't have an emotional attachment to the brand. They just want it to bowl in their living room. (laughs) All right. Well, James, uh, can you read the next letter? Ricardo from Portugal writes, just a few months ago, somewhere around the announcement of the Wii U, I reached a saturation point with Nintendo and their public image. The hubris in dealing with the media was something I had not felt since the first showings of the PS3, and left me tired out with the company I loved for so many years. Not seeing efforts being put forth to raise the company's online prowess in line with its competitors was no small concern either. Thankfully, the weak initial performance of the 3DS and the somewhat cold reception of the next home console seemed to be forcing the company to right some wrongs. The aggressive reduction of the 3DS's price point, the creation of the Ambassador program, all the great new functionalities introduced with new 3DS firmware, and even the recent handling of the Skyward Sword bug, releasing a program to correct my save, really give me renewed hope for the future. Does anyone else feel the same, and can we expect this trend to continue? God, I hope so. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I've seen Nintendo do a whole bunch of like point solutions and not... Yeah, it's not a comprehensive reevaluation. Uh, ad hoc solutions, yeah. I, I mean, but then you could argue, you know, if you are responding to unforeseen events, then perhaps that's all you can do. But the right. question is, how much better are they going to get at anticipating Seeing problems? Seeing the so-called unforeseen. Yeah, getting out in front and having a coherent strategy to deal with them ahead of time. Yeah, Nintendo traditionally has always marched to the beat of their own drum. They haven't given a shit about online. This demo thing, like, there's they're so late to the ballgame on so many, like, normal mainstream things. You would hope that they would get their shit together and start, you know, figuring these things out. And it seems to me as someone who's covered Nintendo for a very, very long time, every two steps forward the company takes, 
they take five steps back. <laughs> and there's the right thing to do and the smart thing to do, and then there's the Nintendo thing that they do. And granted, I'm, I, I wouldn't say biased, but like, I would say just jaded. Yeah, I am too. You know, I love the company, but I hate the company. And like, <laughs> it's, it's a bad relationship at this point. It, it, it's an ex-girlfriend that I keep going back to. And, but seriously, like, <laughs> I honestly think that we'll see, and I, I hope I'm right. I, I really do that. We'll see something a little, a little different at E3 in that, what we saw initially with the Wii U won't be the same. Like, I mean, they didn't, you know, it was obvious at E3, they have no idea what the hell they're doing online, or at least they weren't talking about it, but... Well, I mean, the indications were of a sort of uh, a laissez-faire approach. Yeah, which, which... That it would be, there would be open, and that different companies might have the ability to set up their own online yeah. structures within the Wii U, which, you know, it probably is not, if you're looking for that kind of strategic vision that we're talking about that's not that's a bad sign the the environment so i the rep i spoke to at their booth the environment she was describing was awfully reminiscent of the ps2's online strategy Ugh. although but although i mean look, which companies, is not a compliment in the world mm-hmm. of the current online strategies yeah but third-party publishers and whatnot i mean they've moved on in their online knowledge and their the way they do business so i mean it wouldn't literally be like that but i know what you mean They've moved on to the point of expecting the platform to do the hard work for them. Would they really want to have to build their own platform again? They've moved on to becoming consumers. Well, it depends. I mean, if Nintendo's essentially opening a space for them that they think maybe they could occupy and do very well in because they could actually own that space and get other publishers to use their service. I mean, you know, maybe they, they would be willing to do that if it's an opportunity. And perhaps if, if it's not something that Nintendo is well disposed to do maybe it would be better to get someone who actually knows what they're doing to do yeah, it yeah but have competing services on us on the same platform just confuses the the consumer I, I think nintendo needs to come to e3 and show people that they they know what they're doing if you leave it up to the developers you're gonna end up having the online greatness of the gamecube you know what i mean like it just it'll be fantasy star and whoever else wants to do something yeah it's self-limiting because it's just another hurdle publishers have to get over when they want to make a game online and the other two platforms are so advanced in in what they're doing online i'm not saying that ps3 is like the greatest thing ever but like at least it's something at least it works and there's voice chat and friends lists and all that sort of stuff and that's what gamers expect now and we're seeing a little more little it's a little better on 3ds but like we there needs to be one system (laughs) we we got messaging today (laughs) 3ds is still being built but james you joke about that it's still being built but look microsoft just you know they reinvent xbox live every year they do well not the dashboard and all that sort of stuff. These haven't been reinventions, though. These have been just patching in features that probably should have been there to start. Should have been there. Yeah, exactly. and I think that, I mean that's the that's the issue though. That the kind of Ricardo talks about you know, hubris or whatever. I mean, for me, it's difficult to necessarily disentangle hubris and, and, and almost sort of desperation. I mean, the, the 3DS <laughs> at the end of the day, they released it when they released it because they put themselves in a box where they felt mm-hmm. they had to to make certain revenue projections basically because Wii sales and software sales and all that kind of stuff fell off quicker than they thought. So they were trying to make up that shortfall by ensuring that they had a new platform ready to launch. And then they did a lot of things 
that uh, you know you probably shouldn't have done in order to facilitate that bump and then of course you know everything all the consequences of that that have followed so the point is i mean is that hubris well in a way it is because it's the well we could kind of half-ass this and still get away with it but right. on the other hand it's because they felt their backs were up against the wall in terms of their responsibility to their shareholders, and, and that's why they did what they did. So in terms of this trend continuing or whatever, obviously the, the decision to enact the price cut and all that is kind of a big turning point because it's where they say, well, you know what, shareholders, we're sorry, but we're going to have to eat it for the time being. Right. You know, because this is what's needed uh, for the long term health of the platform and, our, you know, a, a sort of medium term ability to generate revenue. So that that is an important sort of step that they've taken. They've, they, it's no small thing for them to accept taking a loss because they've pretty much never done it while they've been in the video game business. So I do think, as we've said many times, it will definitely affect how they approach the Wii U launch. I would hope that um, if they haven't already because of recent events here with the having to build the shop from scratch for the 3DS and, and being lit, I would hope that they have a more integrated approach to, to their eShop on the Wii U and 3DS, you know, maybe a common code baseline or, or whatever you want to call it so that it's really kind of two variants on the same thing. Um, because mm-hmm. reinventing the wheel is one reason why they were late on the 3DS. They, they were doing something that they really should have already had, but they never bothered to do it. Right. The DSi shop is is a disaster. So I would hope that whatever lessons they're learning, they're, they're integrating into their next development in, in such a way that there is kind of a unified architecture, I guess, is, is maybe the way to put it. I don't know if Nintendo is really capable of doing that. They haven't demonstrated an ability to do that on any of the other systems, really. Uh, all the architectures for the systems up to this point have been pretty much... I'm in my world. I don't really know who you are over there, Mr. DS. Uh, I'm we, you know. <laughs> they need to get some fresh blood implementing this stuff, outsource it if they need to, um, because they just don't know how to develop this sort of thing. They, they are not an operating system company. They are, they are not a general electronics company. They don't know how to do this. One thing I would say as a general point, to whatever extent there has been overconfidence, hubris, if you want to put it, the complacency, I would say there is such a robust competition now, you know, in in every facet of their business. You know, you've got obviously the issues of smartphones and whatnot, and they're eating away at the edges of the handheld gaming market. You've got Microsoft making very, very significant gains in that expanded audience area, you know, outside of Japan with Connect, and and even you know Sony has been actually second worldwide, and uh, you know it's been sort of rolling along pretty well with the ps3 in japan and things so i mean they've got a lot of competition to deal with there's no reason why they should be so confident that they could just sort of sail along with humongous profits just by virtue of their name which i think is is perhaps a some of what uh you know people thought about the way they handled the 3ds with the pricing and so forth that those market realities certainly will discipline them and the fact now that they've taken that hit with right. the shareholders, I think now from now on, you know, you have to say, well, the most important thing is to have the product right 
and then you know we'll kind of uh, you know, maybe we'll deal with the sort of revenue projections later. So I, I think that from that point of view, you've got reason for encouragement. Where you probably haven't got so much reason for encouragement is the sort of absence of a strategic competency in some of these areas where they've been deficient in the past. They still all these things that they've done are nice. But they are one-offs. They're reactionary. They're, mm-hmm. Exactly. So they're, 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 it's a completely separate issue about what we're talking about. We have a vision that you follow through from before the product comes out and then hit the ground running with it. As a brief aside, do you remember when we were blamed for the 3DS's pricing for being too enthused at E3? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those were fun times. But, you know, we'll be. It, it's going to be fascinating because so far they've narrowed it down. It's second half of next year, Wii U, so... E3 is obviously going to be the big unveil of what sort of thing they're going to have at launch. My feeling would be that if they're going to take anything, just focus on the games. Yeah. As you know, the the controllers, you know, obviously a, a distinguishing characteristic. <laughs> Measure up your Wii U launch game of the year. The main thing you got to focus on is not the functionality or any of this. Got to focus on what must have titles they're going to have ready to go at that holiday. Yeah, I I think based on what we saw with 3DS, where they uh they kind of started to fast track a few games they knew would would really boost 3DS sales. I, I think they're probably doing the same thing for Wii U. They probably have some novel new stuff that that's really driving what they what they have for their new controller. But I think they'll probably fast track the Mario team. Say, look, you got ten months. We know that you can make a conservative Mario game that's really good in ten months. Go. Well, well, we've already seen it. It's yeah. Mario, me, and you, or whatever they're going to call it. Yeah, I guess I, I was. I guess I was thinking of the the uh, Galaxy team, but I mean, they just finished the game, though. Yeah, so. that's later. But that Mario game that we already saw at E3, that's what you're going to get at launch. Yeah. And I, I will totally agree with you guys. The games need to be there, but the services need to be there too, because that's yeah. what people. When you're dropping two or three hundred dollars on a system, great Netflix. Okay, super. That's not enough anymore. Right. You need more shit. So I hope to God they're working on that. They need an, they need a complete online strategy. This is bullshit to not have voice chat anymore. And I'm not talking about the we speak crappy speakerphone stuff. I mean, <laughs> it, it, let's get with today, you know, and the future. I would say that new Super Mario Brothers, me or whatever god-awful name they come up with it. If that game isn't online, and that isn't the test bed for their online platform, they have already missed a vote, because that is almost certainly going to be the biggest seller of the platform launch. I'm pretty sure Miyamoto said that it wouldn't be possible to do that. Well, didn't he say it wouldn't be possible on Wii? You know, the Wii just couldn't handle it, but oh, that's yeah. why it's on a new mm. console. I mean, that's... A, yeah. Only the power of Wii U can make this possible. <laughs> I, I have played 2D platformers in Flash games online. It can be done. <laughs> You've only illustrated why the next console is <laughs> So the next console is going to run on Flash. Perfect. Oh, great. All right. Well, we'll move on to we'll move on to the next <laughs> question. Then uh, this one is from Chirimi in Norway. So I have two questions actually for you guys. Uh, first, my plan is to buy a Vita when it launches on February twenty second. But as a guy that has never owned anything but Nintendo consoles, I'm not sure if there are any launch games in particular that I would enjoy. But please help me out. Any ideas, Billy? Have you got your eyes on uh, some Vita games? Yeah, I mean, if I didn't move and and have to incur the cost of moving, uh, I probably would have a Japanese Vita. So I love the system. I think it's great. As far as launch games for it, there's going to be a couple that I, I think I definitely want to play Uncharted, even though I know it's the Ben team that's working on it. 
I love Hot Shots. I've always been a fan of that series, so that'll be another one. And Luminous coming again. You know, I'm definitely going to be on board with that. You're Luminous. I love that shit. It's a great puzzle game. And I think uh, Gravity Days, if that's a launch title, I don't know, but that was something that I saw at Tokyo Game Show that I thought was fantastic. But as I said, you know, services are also important, and they've got Twitter app, and you're going to be able to... There's just a lot of really neat stuff that they're doing with Near and their location-based stuff, and I, I'm really curious to see about other stuff that's coming. And that if you see this... Once you see that screen, it's going to blow your freaking mind. I mean, it's giant OLED screen. It's gorgeous, and shit's going to look great on there you know i'm i'm definitely on board i granted i'm going to be playing the hell out of my 3ds over christmas break but i am super excited to get my hands on a vita as someone who's is a nintendo gamer who has bought non <laughs> uh, nintendo consoles uh, a few times uh, i will warn you don't buy something unless there are the games there that you want i bought a dreamcast and there was like one game I wanted, I, I regret my Dreamcast purchase because I did not have enough games. So don't, don't do it just to do it. A lot of the day one stuff are either series that always launch with the system. Rage Racer. Which is apparently a turd. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of the games you expect to see on there. There's a few PS3 ports. I'm not sure you want to buy Rayman Origins on there. Or Michael Jackson, the experience on a handheld. <laughs> no, you don't, because Rayman is single player, not multi. There's no multiplayer in it. Oh, oh, that's pretty bad. Even though it's not meant to be brilliant in multiplayer, that's still a pretty big compromise. Like Little Deviants looked interesting as a game. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell because a lot of these games. I mean, it's it's your standard launch lineup stuff. With yeah, the I mean, of- a lot of launches are pretty unremarkable. I think a lot a lot of people when they buy systems at launch, it is more for the promise of what's to come, and that would certainly right. you know be the case for me with the 3DS when I got that at launch. But- Dynasty Warriors next. I don't know. I mean, when you're a Nintendo fan, there's a Nintendo system coming out, and you've got a very. You've, there are certain games you know about for a fact that have already been shown, and then there's the sort of the promise, the inevitable sort of weight of what uh, Nintendo's going to bring to it as a first party publisher. And then you, know, you think that, especially like Japanese third parties, are going to have some quality stuff to go along with it. You know, that you feel pretty safe, even if you know there's not that much at launch which if there wasn't right you know, i enjoyed pilot wings but that was it for a couple of months you know exactly and you look at this list and it's pretty remarkable what they're what they're doing for launch titles i mean granted i mean hot shots isn't you know redefining the fucking golf universe but no I mean, but it's sold well enough in japan i'm on it like i like that game and it's gonna be a hell of a, f- a good time on vita but really, I mean, it seems like you could find something that would be quite enjoyable if you bought a Vita on day one when it comes out in February in Europe. But I think TYP's warning is well taken because it's probably it's not as much of a given that there will be a, a consistent stream of stuff coming down the line if you've only been a Nintendo gamer up to this point that will sort of satisfy you and that you'll buy games for it habitually. You know, I mean, like if I'd ever bought a PSP thinking that. I would have been pretty bloody disappointed. <laughs> you know, I, I, there were, I would have been a couple of games that I would have been excited about, like, oh, Gradius Collection and Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins. Like, I would have loved those probably early on, and then I don't know what I would have bought. Because there's some good games on it, but not necessarily ones that ultimately kind of appeal to me. So, it's obviously, you can't foresee these things with great 
clarity or anything, but some thought about what you know, what kind of genres right. you think are going to be best represented when you've got you know Sony uh, putting some of their internal development teams and the you know, obviously Japan is going to have a lot of pretty big support for it because they have big portable games. Like, think about those sorts of games and whether you know over the life of the system you really think you'll get your money's worth. And and, and then I think the launch takes care of itself. Probably you'll find something that you'll enjoy. Right. I mean, there's there's certainly the next year's worth of games have pretty much all been announced at this point or or at least up until the E3 window have all been announced at least you have a pretty good idea of what you're getting yourself into through E3 alright well now uh, Chirame did have a second question uh, so James you yes. seem to enjoy Inazuma 11 a whole lot and now that the second one is confirmed for Europe I was just wondering if you're going to import that too uh, I kind of got the game as kind of a lark I mean, I got it because A, I played it a little bit at PAX, and B, it just seemed like such a ridiculously stupid concept that I had to give it a shot. And see the theme song. Oh, good lord. Good lord, that theme song is terrible. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'll import two. I mean, it was a fun game. I'm not sure that it was... I need to play another one right now. Kind of fun. Yeah, that's actually some of the reason why it held off, is because I thought they might release a future one, and they are meant to be better. So it's two and three on the DS, so it could think about picking that up by the time yeah. it comes I mean, I mean, if, if there's a... Keep in mind that it takes three weeks for me to, from buying this game to getting it here, so if I anticipate a hole in games, which right now I've got enough stacked up, that's not a problem. Maybe, <laughs> I'll, t- maybe I'll take a shot on it, but for the time being, I'm not making any plans. Fair enough. Uh, now, it also says, uh, Jeremy, uh, that I appreciate all the hard work that you guys put into the show, and I'll end this email by sending you some real Viking love. I know you want it. Oh, dear. To which I say, the people of my country had plenty of your Viking love back in the <laughs> back in the ninth century. Rather too much of it, I would say. So, yeah, that's enough. And so that is going to do it, I think, for Listener Mail this week. So, uh, James, do you want to close down the show? Sure. So, real quick, let's give our plugs. We actually have the host of Radio Trivia on here, so what, what's the, uh, the status on the next episode? Well, uh, I recorded an episode with J.P. Corbin uh, earlier this week, and I'm uh, in the middle of editing that right now, so you can look forward to episode 102. Awesome. We also have the weekly connectivity. Uh, I, I know they did a Jeopardy segment again, which are the ever-popular. I don't know what the rest of their topics were. And, as always, we have the website, NintendoWorldReport.com, where you can go see all of the awesome features that we usually talk about during the Now Playing segment. We did not do yeah, this Yeah, no Now Playing this week. Oh, it's very sad. There are some reviews this week, and Aaron wrote impressions about a game where you're an armadillo tower defense game set in the Old West. There. <laughs> That's all true. And, uh, of course, RFN at NintendoWorldReport.com for emails. We've still got more to get through. I said Zelda Retro Studios. That's definitely going to happen in a forthcoming episode when Johnny comes back. And iTunes, of course. Rate and review on iTunes. Rate our show. We're still, uh, the UK's pace is still falling behind the oh US's so relative to population. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed that my country would have let me down so badly. And we can always let the Vikings, you know, have their way. <laughs> no! <laughs> Support your local podcast editor. Come on, people. All right, that'll do it. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week. Bye-bye.
Oh, you could have thanked thanked your oh, guests I, for yeah. coming on. Seriously, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> to, thanks, thanks a lot. To, thanks, thanks to Billy and TYP for filling in for our our uh, our colleagues, and that's the show. <laughs> God, I've not I've not ended the show before. One hundred three just aborted. It's hard. It, it's, it, one hundred one hundred three literally just went. We're done. It should have been shot to death far before that point as well. <laughs> you were there. I did not lift a finger to help. I mean, Greg freaking went disaster day crisis on us last week. I'm not sure I could no, do anything beyond that. It. it was worth it. It was worth it. I finished that, by the way. <laughs> oh, was the ending as chaotic? It delivered. It delivered. Oh. By the way, line of the game, eat my ballistics. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, it me and John had the whole thing with the, the awful, awful Rico character in the kill zone who says, eat my bullets. So when uh, one of the enemy helicopter pilot whipped out, they eat my ballistics. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> I feel like that line was written by Google Translate. Someone in Japanese wrote it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's what came back out. <laughs> <laughs> the ending does manage to fit in a sort of giant mech as well. Good. Perfect. By the way, you know, last week when Johnny said, uh, oh, where's the bear come from? I figured it out. I figured out what mid-90s movie the bear comes from. Which one's that? The Edge. 1997, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin versus a Kodiak bear. <laughs> <laughs> that movie That movie sounds like a parody. It's actually not bad. Like, the, the bear action sequences are surprisingly well done. They've just got this really well-trained bear, and they you know, obviously they cut it together quite you know, uh, adroitly, but it's pretty convincing. Like, normally, anything where they're supposed to be interacting with a wild animal is just terrible. Right. But, yeah, that's, it's the same period, so it's got to yes. be. Like, it's, exact, it's just this little halo around like the years 96 to 99 that oh, this entire <laughs> game is taken from <laughs> in some cases the exact dialogue exactly <laughs>